Spider-Man The Master Planner Saga. Welcome once again, time travelers. This is Matt Anderson here, and tonight I'm actually going to be joined by my friend Rick Lee James, and uh, he actually had me on his show. He has a podcast called Voices in My Head, and just last night we recorded an episode together where we talked all about this uh, Spider-Man story. It happened uh, back in 1965 in the Amazing Spider-Man series. It was called The Master Planner Saga. It's sort of a mystery. Who is this master planner? We eventually find out, but... Uh, I just checked. It looks like the Master Planner Saga was originally... Let's see. Yep, let me take a look here. It was originally The Amazing Spider-Man issues number 30 through 33. And I'll be honest, I only read 31 through 33. Still got the full story. But uh, in case you are interested in the dates here, uh, you'd have to take your time machines back to August 10th, 1965 to get issue 30. Then issue 31 was on September 9th, 1965. Issue 32, October 12th, 1965, and finally, issue 33 was on sale on November 11th, 1965. This was a very fun story. You'll probably have seen some of the imagery from this story in the past, even if you haven't read it. This is my first time reading it, so me and Rick had a great conversation. Oh, I should say, if you want to go check out Rick's podcast or anything about him or uh, what he does also for a living, he is a worship leader slash songwriter. Uh, and I think he is, he's going to be mad at me for not knowing this. I think he was a worship pastor or is, or eh, either ways, Christian singer and songwriter, Rick Lee James, my friend who you can find at rickleejames.com. Anyways, uh, there were, so we had the conversation last night. So I know there's one thing that I didn't mention that I had planned on mentioning. So I thought this is my big chance right now. Uh, I just went to rickleyjames.com to go check it out. First, let me tell you about this. So, yeah, from rickleyjames.com, you can get directed to information on his music or to the podcast episode index. And so that's where you'll find me. I don't know for sure what episode I'll be on because it hasn't come out yet, but I'm going to give you my best guess based on what's out there right now here in a second. So uh, back to what I was saying. When I read issue 31 of The Amazing Spider-Man, I now I'm not a, I'm not positive about this, but it looked like Gwen Stacy and Harry Osborn were being introduced for the first time into the series. So I'm going to right now bring up Gwen Stacy online, and I'll, they usually will say what her first appearance was. So yep, there it is, first appearance, The Amazing Spider-Man number thirty-one. So uh, this is kind of interesting, but I kind of got swept away by how the story is being told currently in movies where they met in high school. But they actually never met until uh, the day that Peter started college. Let's go ahead and take a look at Harry Osborn and see if it, I'm guessing it's going to be the same thing. But yeah, here we are. Harry Osborn first introduced in The Amazing Spider-Man number 31. So crazy. Uh, both of these characters were introduced on Peter's first day of college. And um, it looked like actually Flash Thompson first was connected with Harry and he was going to introduced Peter, but Peter was going through some things, which we'll discuss in the episode. And 
Gwen Stacy is portrayed a little bit differently than I would have thought she would be portrayed. I'm guessing they probably change her character a little bit as time goes on and her and Peter fall in love. Uh, but yeah, interesting tidbit there that we didn't mention that first appearances of those characters right there. So, all right, here we go. I've got, uh, the podcast index up here from his, that's Rick's, uh, Rick's website here. Sorry. As I scroll around, this is not good for podcasting. Uh, looks like he recently released episode 143. So my best guess is that I'll be on episode 144 or 145. Don't know for sure. But either way, uh, go check out rickleejames.com. Great guy. Like his podcast. Like his music. So lots to like about Rick. And I appreciate him having me on his show. But I thought since we're having a nice comic conversation, I'll save this. I'm not sure when I'll actually release this episode. I'm recording this intro right now while everything is fresh in my head. But I'm guessing uh, you'll be getting this a couple months after Rick's episode was actually out there. Uh, so I guess without further ado, here we are. Matt Anderson, Rick Lee James, talking all about The Amazing Spider-Man from 1965. Hello, Mr. Matt. Hello, Rick Lee James of the Voices in My Head podcast. Hello, Matt Anderson (laughs) of the Sci-Fi Christian podcast. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm well, man. Good to hear from you. You were like, you were on the dot, like, as far as time. That was perfect. I was, uh... Hanging out with my fam a little bit, and then said, "Time to go podcast." Rick needs me. I I, I did I did for sure. So glad you could join me tonight. Yeah. So you know what we're we're gonna keep this part even of the show. So let me just do a quick introduction if you don't mind, and we'll get right into our conversation. Yeah, it sounds good. Okay, well, welcome back, and listeners, if you've been listening here for the last uh, 46 seconds or so that we've been talking, uh, this is a a little bit different podcast. This is Voices in My Head. I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I have another podcast host with me who was just on the show not too long ago because we did a crossover podcast between the Voices in My Head podcast and the Sci-Fi Christian podcast. Uh, This is one of the co-hosts of the Sci-Fi Christian, uh, Matt Anderson, His, his his other co-host was with us a few weeks ago when we talked about the movie Dark City, Ben DeBono. Uh, but it's just Matt this week. And I asked Matt for a very uh, intentional reason, actually. I have wanted to do this podcast for probably years, actually, because this is one of my favorite Spider-Man storylines, and we're going to be talking about The Amazing Spider-Man. And I know because I've been listening, an avid listener to the Sci-Fi Christian podcast for quite some time, that Matt Anderson is also a Spider-Man fan. And I thought, hey, you know, it'd be fun just to have kind of a a fun conversation talking about Spider-Man, but also because Spider-Man has some really strong spiritual religious um, applications, I think. I don't want to say it's like a religious character because Stanley himself is an atheist and has some pretty strong views about that. But, um, yeah, anyway, so we're going to be talking about some things about Spider-Man, things about faith. And Matt, are you ready to do this? I'm ready. So before we get too far into it, how, how have you been? I mean, you've been spending time with your family. You had a Bible study tonight. I've been listening to your uh, your podcast, and you guys have been talking about everything from Game of Thrones to having uh, Ben do his YouTube videos on there talking about uh, fantasy and the Academy. And oh, what, yeah. what else is going on with your life? Yeah, so well, actually, uh, we did have a couple. There weren't reruns, per se, but yeah, we 
used his uh, a couple of his YouTube videos as our regular episodes because I was actually out of town last week. So we took a week off and we pre-recorded some intros for those. Uh, I think this week we released our Divine Do-Over episode, uh, which is about what if God would allow us to go back and fix a mistake in the past? Kind of we're asking, would he even do that? Um what are the implications if he would? So that was a, that's it. We call it a time loop. It basically means a rerun. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we've been podcasting now this, we're in our fifth year. And so uh, some of our early episodes, we've been replaying kind of condensed versions of them because we used to do our show a little different where we had news at the front of the show and then main topic at the back. And now we split our, we started to actually have the news part taking up so much of the podcast that we split it up into two separate podcasts. And so uh, what I've been doing is, just getting the main topic from the, the that first year of podcasting and making it its own episode so people could get to it easily without listening to uh, like news from 2011. So yeah, so uh, that's a that was a kind of a fun episode. I, I hope people enjoyed hearing it. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of listeners are newer. Have uh, well, I mean, sure. I'm sure we have. I'm sure we have listeners that haven't heard that episode from 2011. And so it's uh, I like that one, so I want people to be able to hear it. So we played that one. We had the YouTube ones and. Now, tomorrow, Ben will be back over here, and we're going to be discussing uh, Better Call Saul, the the spinoff from Breaking Bad. Ah, awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. I, I've only been able to see the pilot episode of that because I don't have a – it is AMC that yep, that's AMC, on, I yep. yeah. And yep. uh, And I have – I proudly – I can say I've listened to all of your sci-fi Christian episodes. With the exception, I skipped over – um, some of the Game of Thrones ones that you just did because I haven't finished reading the books yet Good. and I uh, didn't want to be too spoiled on those things. But the the part that I listened to, I really enjoyed. So uh, I just encourage all listeners at the, the outset here, finish this podcast first, but then go and look up uh, the Sci-Fi Christian podcast because they have a ton of great, great episodes on there and they're uh, really fun to listen to. And, so. and if uh, listeners are here, we're talking about Spider-Man and they're actually really into comics. I have a comic podcast uh, that I do with a couple other co-hosts, not Ben DeBono, but my friend Ben Avery and Daniel Butcher. And uh, that's called Comic Book Time Machine, which you can find at comicbooktimemachine.com. And I talk about Spider-Man a lot there because he's kind of my main guy. <laughs> I have I have listened to a few of those. They're good. So yeah, I, I also a, recommend that. It's been a while, though. I haven't listened in, in some time. So no, I mean, that's a newer on. podcast, too, less than a year old. And so there's not a ton of episodes out there. But uh, it's a, kind of an interesting format, whereas me and Ben DeBono podcast together every week. For this one, we the three hosts that I mentioned earlier, well, the three of us on the comic book time machine get together maybe uh, once a month, if that. Otherwise, we each, the three of us, are releasing solo episodes and sometimes bringing in guest hosts. And uh, sometimes maybe it'll be just me and Daniel or just me and Ben. And so it's a, kind of a, a different format. But I think down the road, after... You've had this uh, conversation in your feed for a while. I'll probably release it on the comic book time machine and people can hear a little about Rickley James if they've never met him before. <laughs> hey, that'd be great. That sounds awesome. Hey, you know what? I forgot one thing I wanted to tell my listeners real fast, and then we'll get into our actual Spider-Man conversation. Uh, just this week, listeners, uh, over if you if you have a Lifeway store near you, Lifeway Christian Stores, uh, I'm really excited to announce that they just put out a CD called Positively Hope. 
and there's 10 songs on the CD, and two of the songs on there are songs that I have written, and uh, you can buy it pretty cheaply right now, I think, actually, at Lifeway stores. I know they have those all over the country, so if you have any Lifeway stores, um, you know, help me out. Uh, go uh, go and purchase one of those CDs, because um, my songs are on it, and the more that uh, that we sell, the more I get to do stuff like this. That's my, my very first national distribution um wow, and it's not and it's not me singing it's actually i mean i th- i think this is cool as a songwriter this is the first time i've had other people record my music so oh congratulations uh, thank you That's thank awesome. you so much yeah so uh i just wanted to put that uh out to all our listeners um and uh, and my new album is still coming but you'll get to at least to hear these two songs are actually going to be on uh, my record as well, but but with me singing instead of these other people. So, <laughs> but it's really it really was an honor to get to do that. So, just want to get that out of the way. Go to Lifeway or, or maybe look up uh, Lifeway online if you don't have one near you, and you can can buy those albums now. There's some great songs on there. So, that's cool. We have a Lifeway here in Minnesota, so oh, I'll, cool. I'll have to go get that. Yeah, yeah, I I would appreciate it very much. My family would appreciate it. So, yeah, yeah please do <laughs> tell your friend. All right, well, let's get into this. Um, I want to start off right on the outset saying that there's one thing that drives me absolutely bonkers about um, Spider-Man. Ever since the the first movie, the Sam Raimi movie came out, um, and it drives me bonkers not in a good way, it drives me bonkers in a bad way, because they misquoted the famous phrase uh, from Spider-Man's first appearance in Amazing Fantasy 15. Um, you know the line, Matt, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Of course. Of course, you're familiar with that. Did you know that that is actually not what was said in the original comic? Now, this is interesting. I know that... It's often misquoted as being a quote from Uncle Ben. I know that it was actually said by the narrator, but I don't think I know exactly how Stanley wrote it that first time. Well, that's very interesting, and it's partly what we're going to be talking about tonight, I think. And and we'll see how um, we'll actually see how uh, this conversation goes because I don't have anything uh, definitely laid out that we have to go to tonight. But I have a few talking points that I think will be interesting. Uh, the actual quote it comes from the end of the very first Spider-Man story, and I, I believe it's in Amazing Fantasy 15 and not Spider-Man number one. When this happens, um, it's got to be Amazing Fantasy 15. Uh, it wasn't Uncle Ben. It could have very well been something Uncle Ben said to him. But it ends with um, with uh, this. It says, And a lean, silent figure slowly fades into the gathering darkness, aware at last that in this world, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. So a little bit different. The, you know, the phrase that's used in the movie... And the phrase that that everybody, you know, the movie says it again and again and again, so it kind of drills it in your head. But what it says in the movie, that's actually not a true statement. Um, With power comes great responsibility is not actually true. Because with great power, we know lots of people with great power. (laughs) And they don't have great responsibility, you know. That's why uh, a lot of the mess in the world that we have is because there's a lot of people without great responsibility. But have you ever stopped to to think about that before? About like, hey, that's not a true statement whatsoever. It's, but You know, actually, since... I love Spider-Man so much, I've always just trusted that it was a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it, though, because, I, yeah, it's just, it's just not true. That the, the actual statement is, 
with great power, there must also come great responsibility, as, as if there's actually this, um, this burden that lies upon the person who has this great power. Mm-hmm. Uh, because lots of people could have great power. And if you're looking from a, a comic book perspective, I guess um, you could say, like, you know, there, there's lots of people that have great power, but like supervillains may not have great responsibility. They're they're just kind of abusing what they have, and I, I think Spider-Man is unique and the essence of this character that we're going to be talking about tonight, and maybe what makes him a great character for just you know for literature, I, I think, and maybe is sort of this archetype, is that he has realized that with responsibility there must also come, I'm sorry, I said that wrong, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. And I think that that's also uh, something that we could apply to our Christian faith, too, with with this great salvation that we have received. Um, there must come great responsibility along with it, or there, there must be great gratitude, and this gratitude leads us to do different things. So I, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about that tonight in the midst of our fun comic book talk. Yeah, I like so. it. So just to clarify, are you saying that with great power should come great responsibility, but doesn't necessarily always? Yeah, I and I think that is is sort of the crux of the first issue of Amazing Fantasy 15 rather the first time we see Spider-Man is that he has this great power but he's completely uh without responsibility. Um you see in that very first appearance that he's just sort of this teenager that's pretty selfish and and very consumed only with his own interests. Um so he goes and he 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 makes this suit so that he can go in the boxing ring. Uh, and and when he goes in there, he wins a hundred dollars. And then um, as the story progresses, he keeps going back to the the wrestling ring. Did I say boxing a minute ago? I you, meant wrestling. Yeah, it's okay. Wrestling. It's it's the end of a long day. Sorry, folks. Uh, but he's totally living without responsibility to the point that he's going to collect his pay one evening, and the person shorts him the money. The manager of the wrestling uh, arena where he's at, and uh, and. A robber, uh, if you know the story very well, um, well, actually, you can help me tell the story. What happens? Because the robber steals the money from the office, comes running down the hallway, and what does Spider-Man not do? Right. Peter is just sort of annoyed anyways about what's been going on to him, so he just lets the robber pass by saying, it's not my problem, it's your problem, guy. Yeah, I, I, Exactly. I think he says, uh, "Sorry, pal, that's your job." Yeah. Uh, I'm through. I'm through being pushed around by anyone. Anyone. And this is the the line I want to look at specifically, talking about the responsibility and power. He says, "From now on, I only look out for number one. That means me." And uh, so I, I think that that is a good example of uh, what we're talking about with that statement of with great power there must also come great responsibility because um he's living very irresponsibly mm-hmm. at that point he's living very selfishly and because he does the criminal gets away and then what happens to his uncle man it's unfortunate because that criminal who got away ends up later being the same criminal that shoots and kills his uncle yeah uncle ben who may or may not have said that famous statement <laughs> so so inadvertently peter is mildly responsible for his own uncle's death his uncle who raised him like uh you know is his father figure right right definitely so um 
I, I don't know. I think that's just a, an interesting place to to start talking about it in this conversation. That I think that we take for granted sometimes that with great power, well, the responsibility comes with it. But it's just not true. There actually is something greater that's required of us. And uh, I, I think about like the book of James, if we're going to talk about it in a spiritual sense. And we actually will get to these issues that I wanted to talk about of Spider-Man in a second. But, you know, James keeps talking about faith without works is dead, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the idea that there has to be something more um, than just this faith behind what you have. There has to be something that you're doing with it uh, because you are so grateful. It's not that, um, I, I'm trying to remember how Brennan Manning said it when he was alive. Basically, it's it's that God loves you um, just as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. However, um, with that love comes incredible gratitude, and that gratitude will make you want to press on to know him more and to do things for him. And so I think that's sort of where we're coming from in this conversation tonight, the idea that with great responsibility, I can't say it, doggone it, with great power, there must also come great responsibility in the midst of that, that there's something else that's required of us. We can't just live life selfishly, and it would be completely irresponsible if we did. So um, no. So any any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, when you talked about th- this faith without works is dead, it kind of reminded me of something. When I was uh, studying to get my master's in theological studies, I was putting together a paper, and uh, I was going to quote, I was trying to write about faith and works and how closely they're connected and if you, I just happened to pull it up here after you brought that up. So in James 2, starting at verse 18, I'm just going to read a little bit. Is that cool if I read a little Bible Yeah, here? yeah, please do. So, uh, it says, so eight, I'm going to read 18, 19, and I think the... Well, we'll see. I'm going to read a little bit here. Uh, verse, starting at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the de- the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Okay, so that's uh, 18 through 20 there. So I was going to quote from this in my paper for school, and I started taking out verse 19 just because I felt like that part about you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the, de- the demons believe and shudder. I, d- I didn't see how that tied into the two other points you know, sandwiching it, you know, verse 18 is about mm-hmm. faith and works, verse 20 is about faith and works, and then 19 you have this verse about the demons and God being one. And then it hit me as I was taking, <laughs> basically just putting a, a, you know, dot, dot, dot to take out that verse. I, I had to think about why is that there in the first place? And it hit me that, I, well, I think what James is trying to say here is that as closely as the Trinity exists as one being, God, you know, God three in one, that's how closely faith and works should be connected and wow yeah and so it, it ended up being something that was you know pivotal to my paper then when i started sure. writing about that but uh yeah i i love that i love that whole passage right there that's fantastic actually yeah thinking about that in terms of as close as the trendy is wow that's good stuff matt yeah. thanks for sharing that um well, let me ask you, because I asked uh, Facebook people tonight just before we started, what is your earliest exposure or your earliest memory, I guess, of being exposed to, to Spider-Man? If you can remember that far back, I was trying to think through myself. And um, I think I think for me, and I can't say for certain, but I think for me was when I was a kid, 
and there was a cartoon called Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. And uh, it had Iceman and Firestar, and and they had this dog. I think the dog was called Miss Lion or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I would watch it every Saturday morning, and it had. Uh, eventually, they aired it back to back with the Incredible Hulk cartoon. But I think that's my earliest experience with Spider Man. What What's your earliest that you can recall? All right, so I do know the first comic I read him in, but it was earlier than that. My first experience with him actually wasn't in any sort of TV or movies or comic books it was in the action figure form so a lot of yeah a lot of the comic characters that i'm pretty familiar with today i really didn't know at first and so i had uh my my mom would get me a lot of action figures growing up so of course i had spider-man had dr octopus uh had dr doom so a lot of the well-known characters captain captain america i met daredevil for the first time through action figures i remember though i had a wolverine action figure but i like i said i hadn't been reading comics so i didn't know who all these characters were, uh, you know, for somebody like Daredevil, who I was unfamiliar with, the packaging told me his name, so I was okay. But I got Wolverine at a garage sale, so I had no idea hmm. what his real name was. And because <laughs> he has sort of, if you can picture his mask, it sort of looks like he has horns a little bit. I would just call mm-hmm. this hero Horns, which obviously is not a great superhero <laughs> name. Uh, uh, but yeah, my first experience with Spider-Man was definitely in the action figure form. But then my first comic that I read him in wasn't his own comic it was actually a what if comic uh, and for people that aren't familiar with what if it's sort of a parallel universe it's marvel's way of being able to write uh one issue story that doesn't have to exist in their regular universe have you read what ifs yes i have read several of those so what if volume two issue number 26 is called what if punisher had killed daredevil so on, oh, yeah. on the cover, you've got Punisher holding a smoking gun, Daredevil's down on the ground, and in the background, you've got Spider-Man kind of coming down from the from the tower or the buildings above and checking out the scene, and and so he played a part in that story. He wasn't the main character necessarily, but that was the first comic I ever read Spider-Man in. Nice. And then eventually in the '90s, I got really into him, and I followed very closely throughout the 90s and i stopped reading comics until actually just the last five years i kind of started getting back into them i I, you know i feel like the whole marvel universe right now in comic form is just a big what if oh uh, yeah they they just keep changing everything you know constantly so what if it was this so yeah totally (laughs) um you know, as we're talking about that, I wonder if, too, may, m- possibly my first exposure, I was going to say it was the cartoon, but it may have been the electric company. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know if you remember that show or not, but it seems like it was on, like, back-to-back with Sesame Street when I was a real little guy. I, and and I, Morgan Freeman was a character on, on the electric company, believe it or not, and he was in those Spider-Man episodes. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm definitely familiar with it, and I knew that Spider-Man appeared, but I've never seen one episode of this. Well, it's it's probably uh, it probably was would have meant a lot more to you as a young tyke than it does now. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so I, I think but, I remember when Spider-Man appeared. Didn't he, he never spoke though? Is that correct? Or did he speak? I, I think it was always word balloons. Okay, I think yeah. they would put those up and they would make little sound effect noises and things. But uh, yeah, just very interesting that we have that connection with Morgan Freeman yeah. all the way back then in Spider-Man movies. So I think they ought to give Morgan Freeman at least a cameo in the Spider-Man films now since he was with him way back then on PBS. Oh man, that would be awesome. <laughs> I mean, he's in the Batman film, so why not mm-hmm. put him in there? But. Those would be my well, two. Those are my two favorites now. So if you Marvel 
Spider-Man's my number one hero and DC Batman. How about you? Uh, you know, they're, they're very close to being my favorites, both of them. I, I do love Batman and Spider-Man both. I, I've always had an affection for Superman, and I, and I understand why people don't like Superman. I, I mean, I completely get it. Uh, but for some reason, he was like he, he was the one when I was a kid. I, I don't know if it was just the time that it hit, uh, but still to this day, I just have this special spot for Superman. And I don't, I don't, I guess he's probably about about my favorite. But it's funny that you mentioned Batman and Spider Man because I feel like those two are almost in the wrong universe. Like I feel like Batman should be in the Marvel universe as dark as he is and Mm -hmm. as gritty. And then I feel like Spider-Man should be over in the DC, at least what DC once was. I know DC now is, has become very dark like Marvel was, but those two characters have always been interesting to me because I felt like I always feel like, boy, those could just interchange real easily and just go into the other one's world. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I I don't know if you if you're I'm, I'm sure your listeners remember this, but back oh man, it must have been 2013, uh, we did a crossover show, the Sci-Fi Christian and Voices in My Head, uh, and we talked about Superman, and we talked about the Man of Steel movie, but also just Superman as a character. And at that time, I'd say I he wasn't my favorite character, but I think over the years, yeah, I'm, he's starting to grow on me. And I recently read a story from I think it was 1975, uh, actually for the comic book time machine, we read the. Superman versus Spider-Man story. Have you ever read that? Oh yeah, I've, actually, I have the original. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Actually, it's on a shelf. Oh man, right hey, th- that's worth some money. I, I yeah, just, I just saw it at a comic show this past weekend for seventy bucks uh, just by itself. Uh, so depending on how good of shape you have it in, that, that yeah, could be worth it's, it's a real, it's great shape. It's a real big one. Uh, yeah, it's they, tabloid they, size. They, yeah, and I also have right next to it on the show. Well, actually, it's in the other room, but I have Hulk meets uh, her Bat- Hulk, Hulk versus Batman. Yep, same size. Uh, yeah, that, yep. yeah, they're both there. Those are, I mean, I, you probably want to keep them, but if you did want to sell them, you could get some good money for both of those. But yeah, uh, but yeah. I, I read those recently, and uh, or actually just the Spider-Man Superman one, and it was a good story. It made me want to read Superman stories from that time period, kind of the. The, what people will call the pre-crisis era. You know, the crisis on yeah. Infinite Earth started in 1984, I think. So, yeah, I'd like to read some 70s Superman or some early, early 80s. Yeah, those those are my favorites for the character, too. I really enjoy those. I think the art was some of the best back then. But but you know what? Let's get back to, to Spider-Man, because I, I could go on about heroes all night. Maybe, but uh, the, the one I really want to talk about tonight... Um, Spider-Man, and uh, ironically enough, I said I had the I had the issue of Superman meets Spider-Man. I also have these issues as original uh, comics. So the ones we're going to discuss tonight, I actually have the original comics from back in gosh, nineteen sixty-five. Sixty-five. Okay, mm-hmm. you've got the year. I was trying to uh, search for it real quick. No, I've got um, yeah, I've got uh, cover dates and on sale dates for all three of these comics that we're going to discuss. And okay. Uh, Great. Yeah, some interesting information when it comes to how much, even just the cost of a meal. You know, nowadays, you'll pick up a comic for four or five dollars. These were twelve cents. Yeah, twelve cents. Yeah, and uh, so I've got the originals of, of these issues we're going to talk about. I have it also in Marvel Masterworks, and then I recently bought them in digital just so I kind of have them and read them again. Um, that's how much these issues. I, and I'm not saying that they're like the best stories I've ever read, but but for me, there's something in here that just um 
it sets the tone for who the amazing Spider-Man is supposed to be. And when he falls short of this, like he often does anymore, the way that Dan Slott writes him or a lot of modern um, uh, Spider-Man writers do, um, when he falls short of this, I feel like at times like, oh, that's not Spider-Man. <laughs> you know? and, the, and this is where he kind of works on this. Um, level that a lot of other heroes don't when we're talking about this power and responsibility. And um, and I, I want to tell listeners about uh, a guy I met a few years ago, and actually we've only corresponded over email, and I've read some of his, uh, his writing. Um, there's a guy, he's a pastor, and I think he's actually pastoring at a church in, um, in Kentucky now, somewhere near Louisville. Uh, but Michael Brewer, or his, his author name, H. Michael Brewer, um, he did a, a book back in, I think it was 2004, called Who Needs a Superhero? And uh, the theme of the book was finding virtue, vice, and what's holy in the comics. And it's actually a really good book. When I was a youth pastor, I did a whole series um, week after week when teens would come in for our weekly uh, service together. And we did a, a superhero series based off of this book. Uh, by H. Michael Brewer, and I wanted to to use some of the things that he wrote about because he has a really good synopsis, um, particularly of of these issues that we're going to talk about, and it might be easier for me just to read that and kind of let listeners know what's going on than it is for us to just try to, off the top of our head, explain it. So if you're okay with that, you mind if I do a little reading? Yeah, take it away. All right, let me get to the page where I, where I need to be at. Um, here it is. This is actually, and I should lead into Amazing Spider-Man th- number um, 32. Um, this is, is one of my favorite storylines. And, and I should ask you first, did you enjoy it, Matt? Because it's been years ago since I read it the first time. It's just always been special. But I, I may have overhyped it for you. What did you think of the issues? Like, you know, g- give it a grade, A to F. Oh, great. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a A. I'm trying to think if I should go just straight A or A minus. I mean, it's good. So it's uh, in the, it's in the A level. I think it wasn't just you that may have overhyped it because I have heard of this story before. In fact, I believe this is one of Stanley's favorites when mm. it comes to that whole scene that we'll talk about the towards the end of, sure. of the story. But uh, I, I think that's something he feels like is a really strong story. So I've heard about this before, never read it, but yeah, definitely good. Uh, and I felt like the three issues hung together really well. Whereas I think a lot of comics that came out around this time it was sort of just a one and done story after story but spider-man really paved the way in telling more of a long form story so yeah no it was uh yeah definitely i'm just gonna go with straight a Okay, straight A. Yeah. That's a good one then good i'm glad it didn't disappoint no it at did least, not because that's good no i really um, liked it well uh, what has happened in an issue i think 32 of uh, amazing spider-man um, you see that, and maybe even back in 31, if I'm trying to remember how the issues run together, uh, but Aunt May, who at least at this time was always portrayed as being like 750 years old. Mm-hmm. She was, <laughs> she was always very old in the comics for sure. And it's amazing. She's still with us today after all this time. Um, but she had, had fallen ill 
and was in the hospital um, desperately needing something. And and Peter remembered they kind of do this flashback. And it's funny as you read the issues because Stan Lee himself can't remember what issue it was when he's looking back. And they have the little boxes at the bottom. It says, if you can remember what issue this was in, reader, let me know. Uh, yeah. But sometime in an issue before this, Aunt May needed a blood transfusion. And Peter Parker, who is her nephew and who's also the amazing Spider-Man, unbeknownst to Aunt May, um, gives some of his blood to her, and because of his radioactive blood, she reacts poorly to it and is dying in the hospital now. So he is ha- having this incredible guilt upon him. Not only has, as we talked about before, his uncle been killed, partially because of his fault, because he didn't stop that crook uh, that killed his uncle, and now he's faced with this possibility of possibly having his aunt's death, who, who raised him as though she was his mother, on his hand as well, if he cannot find this cure. Um, and so he f- finds his friend, Dr. Connors, who's also known as the Lizard, and uh, earlier in, in a few issues back, um, he was in Florida, actually, when the Lizard was introduced, if memory serves, and... Um, Spider-Man, for some reason, was not in New York, but he went to Florida, (laughs) and he stopped the lizard, and he helped create the formula that turned the lizard back into Dr. Kurt Connors. So now Dr. Kurt Connors is in Spider-Man's debt. So Spider-Man seeks out Dr. Connors, tells the situation with his Aunt May, doesn't use the word Aunt May, but there's someone that needs this cure. And Dr. Connors says, as only comic books will do, um, says she needs this ISO 36. Uh, It's the only serum that can can save her. So that's where I'm going to take up reading from the book, Who Needs a Superhero, to give you the rest of the the plot synopsis here. Um, It says, "In, in what is perhaps... Uh, and this is this is his words again. In what is perhaps my favorite comic book story, Spider-Man trails Dr. Octopus, who has stolen a radioactive medication called ISO-36. That serum is the only hope to save the life of Spider-Man's hospitalized Aunt May. Spider-Man tracks Dr. Octopus to his lair on the floor of the sea. During a brutal slugfest, the underwater hideout partially collapses. The villain makes good his escape, but Spider-Man... Spider-Man is pinned beneath tons of debris. Amazing Spider-Man number 32 ended on one of the greatest cliffhangers in comic book history. 20 feet out of reach is the radioactive serum on which Aunt May's life depends. Water pours into the damaged building. Spider-Man struggles vainly against the massive weight bearing him down. After days of relentless effort, the young man is exhausted. He can't budge the debris. The water level, uh, the rising water level will soon submerge the trapped hero. All seems lost. Spider-Man and Aunt May are both apparently doomed. And waiting for the next issue was the longest four weeks of my life. <laughs> so um, it was it was great to hear from him as a reader who actually was a kid when these were coming out and was reading them and waiting on the next issue. But um, in, in terms of cliffhangers, I've always thought, man, this was like a fantastic cliffhanger for for an issue because um, just as he describes, Spider Man is as 
in an impossible situation. He's pinned by what appears to be um, just giant pieces of steel <laughs> on the ground. Um, it's an underwater base, so the place is filling up with water, so he's going to drown if he can't get loose. Um, the ISO 36 is within reach, but he can't reach it. Aunt May is dying in the hospital, and then the comic is basically like, well, they're dead. <laughs> you yeah. know? So what did you think of the cliffhanger? Oh, yeah, definitely agree. I, I mean, you know, one thing I don't want to rush past is what you had mentioned earlier, what you know, we already know that he was partially responsible responsible for his uncle Ben's death, and now he has hanging over him his only parental figure left. This woman he loves, his aunt May, is mm-hmm. dying because of a blood transfusion. And he, as a scientist, he probably should have thought through if giving her a blood transfusion was a good decision in the first place. And so, you know, once again, she's dying because of that. And so. It's more than just trying to save her. He's, in a sense, also trying to save himself from even more guilt for what he's done to his family, essentially. And so there's a lot of emotional uh, tension hanging in this scene where, like you said, you can see the cure or the thing that could help lead to the cure right in front of him. But he's trapped. And the way Steve Ditko does the artwork in this where, I mean, it does look, I mean, you know, superheroes are typically strong and can get out of hard situations but for whatever reason the way this is drawn it looks like he is completely trapped under this collapsed metal so uh yeah yeah, i mean well in fact if if as i was reading it i was reminded like he has to kind of maneuver himself and turn just so because there's more metal crashing on top of him and he's already pinned so he's so he's so tightly pinned in he has to like move his body like the half of it is not pinned so that the rest of it comes down and then pins him even more. <laughs> and, I, so. and I love how we had mentioned he's underwater and you start to see the drops coming down and then the artwork shows the drops getting bigger. And then, yeah, I mean, it's everything. Nothing is going right here with the water pouring in and he's trapped. I mean, it's, it's really good. I, another thing we didn't really mention it was a mister in these three issues you uh, when you're reading so we're talking about here uh, number 31 32 and 33 of amazing spider-man in issue 31 we don't know who the big villain is they're just calling him the master planner and, yeah, and we right. had, and you had already mentioned that it ends up being dr octopus but as a first time reader i didn't actually know which of his villains it was going to end up being i mean we get hints at somebody he's met before but i didn't know who it was going to be so oh, and another fun thing i won't go too far into this but there was a line, I have it right over here, where Dr. Octopus says, So, Spider-Man, we meet again, but this time, alas, it shall be our final encounter. Never again will you interfere with the plans of those who are your superior. <laughs> and I, I, won't, I, I won't go too far into that, but if you know of the superior Spider-Man storyline, right. that has some weight to it when he says that. And I do kind of wonder, there's a few nods to these issues in that superior spider-man um run that dan slot had so i wonder if this was part of the influence that led to maybe not just the title but just kind of the tone of the of those books yeah well i'm i'm certain it was because even when when peter parker comes back in those uh superior spider-man issues 
there's sort of this metaphorical image of him lifting things off to get back up, you know, oh, and, yeah. it, and it, it's it's definitely reminiscent. It's supposed to look like this issue. So, um, and Dan Slot says that he is the 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 biggest Spider-Man fan in the world. Um, I don't know if that's true, but he definitely knows the history of things. So, so there's a lot of history to this book for sure. Yeah. So all that to say, I totally agree. Awesome cliffhanger. And uh, and he's he's laying there, you know, and um, he, he's he's saying, and I have the issue in front of me, so he's saying, um, I can't just stay here and wait for the end. I've got to try to get free. And he's pinned down with these huge metal. Um, it's it's hard to even say what it is. It looks like metal machinery or something. It's it's almost like uh, the, the whole building is collapsed on him or something. All yeah. the all the. Uh, the beams that support the the room, I guess. And he says, if I can only lift this weight off me, but I just can't budge it, not an inch. It's no use. I'm too exhausted. I've been on the go for days, perhaps if I rest a while. And uh, that's another key thing about the issue is, in, in spite of this one fight, um, he is just absolutely exhausted. And unlike some other heroes, you really see the human side of this character coming through right here right um well, you know because it, his aunt is sick so he's been in the hospital plus he started college uh right. d- during the week of this and and so he hasn't been sleeping he's been trying to study and take care of his aunt plus he's been chasing down uh these bad guys while also looking for this potential cure uh, so yeah he hasn't been sleeping but yeah and the way the machinery is on top of him it's basically just his shoulders from the shoulders up so his arms and his head are sticking out, but you can see how there's not a lot of way to leverage yourself out of this. Yeah, and the, and the way that, that Ditko drew it too, there's even like this like round piece in front of him. Like even if he could just like slip his body out, he can't move because the piece in front of him has him blocked in too. So it's like all sides. He's he's pinned down. Yeah, yeah I love the cover uh, for 33, where this is, you know, after you had the cliffhanger, then you get the next issue. Uh, which was Amazing Spider-Man 33. And yeah, the cover displays perfectly what's happening here. Oh, we didn't mention that. We did mention 65, but these came out in September, then October, and November consecutively. Okay. So right in a row uh, in those three months. Well, well, let me take up reading a little bit more with uh, the synopsis that Brewer has in his book here. I think it, he ex- describes it better than I can. Uh, he says, waiting for... It, um, Waiting for the next issue was the longest four weeks of my life. When Amazing Spider-Man number 33 finally arrived, I couldn't wait to get it home. Instead, I sat down on the sidewalk in front of the drugstore and I read it on the spot. As the story opens, Spider-Man strives again and again against the weight of the wreckage, but to no avail. He drifts in and out of consciousness, seeing visions of Aunt May in her hospital bed, and what what Brewer doesn't mention is he actually sees visions of Uncle Ben, too. It's almost like they look like uh, Jedis at the end of the Return of the Jedi, <laughs> where yeah. where there's like it's like ghost Aunt May and ghost Uncle Ben are like in his in his brain. He's having these visions there. Um, and so he he has this vision. And he's seeing Aunt May in her hospital bed. He's seeing Uncle Ben. So again, I think we're we're supposed to get the idea. I I, I feel like it's brilliant on the part of Ditko that he thought 
like to draw these in this way that that the the weight of Peter Parker's guilt uh, is upon him once again in the form of his aunt and uncle, who it seems to him he's going to be responsible for both of their deaths, even as he's dying. Um, which I, I find that very interesting and very heroic on some level too, Matt, because um, here's a hero that's about to die, and yet what he's thinking about, what he's most concerned about, is the one he loves, um, his his aunt, and and so the idea that even to the end he's uh, doing his best to put someone else before him, uh, because he's not panicking in this issue about oh no I'm going to die. He's panicking about oh no Aunt May needs my help. You know, so uh, just a, a little side thought there. Do you have the uh, Do you have the page there in front of you? Do you have a, the comic open? Oh yeah, I do. Okay, so uh-huh. and here's another cool thing I just noticed. So on page two, you've got him talking, and you, he's seeing these visions, and the water is dripping onto his shoulder and splashing off. But then, if you move over to page three, as he's trying harder and harder, you start to see there's now water dripping on his head. And so you can't really display Spider-Man with a full mask on sweating and, and working profusely hard. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, but with this water, Steve Ditko is, uh, you know, the artist here, he's able to, in a sense, portray how hard Spider-Man's working. At, yeah. Whereas the leaking water splashing his head almost looks like sweat coming off and so that's ways. true yeah i hadn't thought of that but you're right it's very it's very descriptive artistry very yeah, very great. much so um well and anyway as the as the story opens spider-man strives again and again as as we had said he sees visions of his aunt may and his uncle ben the water rises and spider-man gathers his strength for one final effort uh and the the debris shifts infinitesimally uh which you know very small i'm not even sure if i said that word correctly but just a very small amount um then the hero heaves again and the weight moves another fraction of an inch and and he has this line you know when he's talking um actually maybe i should just or if you have it in front of you you want do you want to play this part of spider-man and read that stuff on page three that he's talking about the agony he's going through as he's trying to to get up yes yeah, so which panel do you want me to start on Oh, let's start with um, just start from the first one because he's he's talking about within my yeah, I got it with, here. Actually, uh, start maybe the last panel just before that when he says "No matter the odds" on page two. You see where I'm talking about? Yep. Here we go. No matter what the odds, no matter what the cost, I'll get that serum to Aunt May, and maybe then I'll no longer be haunted by the memory of Uncle Ben. Within my body is the strength of many men, and now I've got to call on all that strength. All the power that I possess, I must prove equal to the task. I must be worthy of that strength, or else I don't deserve it. The weight is unbearable. Every muscle aches. My head, it's spinning. Everything's beginning to wheel, whirl around. The strain, it's, it's unbearable. And, and then uh, he's talking about the crack in the ceiling. It's growing wider, getting bigger every second. I'll never make it. You know, you can, you can keep reading if you want. Uh, yeah. The crack in the ceiling, it's growing wider, getting bigger every second. I'll never make it. I can't. No, I dare not give up now. If I close my eyes, I'll go under. Must stay awake. Must clear my head. Keep trying. Trying. I'll do it, Aunt May. I won't fail you. No matter what, I won't fail. Anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy. It's when the going's tough. When there seems to be no chance, that's when it counts. Everything going black. My head aching hold on i must hold on it's moving 
Can't stop now. Do you want me to keep going? Oh, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Just finish it out last, there. Till the- last chance. Must keep the momentum. More. Just a little more. I did it. I'm free. Yeah, and and uh, the, the I did it. I'm free. Part the cool thing, if you're looking at it, is it's all the the panels have gotten bigger, and until it's just getting more and more dramatic, and you could feel like he's just about to pass out from all this, you know, strength that's been expended from him, and then it's a full page spread of him lifting, you know, kind of throwing off this enormous um, just hunk of metal that's on top of him. That's yeah. a really cool picture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really I love it. is. Yeah, um, I like this one. I like the one right to the left too on page four, the bottom part. I like that, but I, of course, the "I'm I'm free" picture is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's just all it's so it's so descriptive. The art's good. I think the storytelling is good, um, and it's all really you know he's he's kind of limping along after that, and then uh, throughout the rest of the story as he's trying to escape because you know the story's not done. Now he's he's free, but he's still in this uh, base that's being submerged in water. And he's he's too weak to even walk, and so as the waves start crashing into this place, um, he talks about I'll just hold my breath and just let the waves carry me along because I don't have any strength left, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing he keeps he keeps having to wait to get strength back because he's so tired. Um, I I can only liken it to um, and and I know you're a runner too, but I've really gotten into running more lately since I lost a bunch of weight and stuff. And there are times where you know if I really um, and I don't know if anybody can relate to this if they haven't done this, but like when I've run really hard and I've just given it everything I've got, it's almost like at some point, like there's just literally you just can't take another step. Like mm-hmm. you've <laughs> you've just spent everything you have, and uh, and that's what we're seeing here in this panel is just like he spent every bit of energy that he had, and yet he's still got to go on because he's still got somebody to save, you right. know. And and it's not just himself; he has to get out of this situation. Uh, for the good of others, for the sake of others. Yeah, everything about it was awesome storytelling with the artwork, the little details. Um, yeah, this is definitely, man, maybe I, maybe A was too low of a grade. <laughs> um, so anyway, to to not be too spoilery, but you know, it's it's been you know decades at this point. So if you haven't read it, you can you can go reread it. But um, but he does get out of the situation and and the story. He he does end up saving the day because he is Spider Man and and that's what he does. But it's not an, an easy struggle. It's he's he's not the character like Superman that just has all the power in the world at his disposal and he can use it whenever. Um, Spider-Man is, um, this may be a terrible analogy, but at least in this story, um, when we're talking about, like, um, not to put too fine of a point on it, but, like, if we're going to talk about Christ figures um, in different stories, uh, being that Christ was, as we believe in Christian theology, you know, fully God, fully man, uh, we have to think about some of those things through, like, what does it mean to be fully man at the same time uh, being fully God? Or if we're looking at this case, he's a superhero, but at the same time, he's still a man, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's got both sides of it, and he he literally has to, to spend everything he has. And at some point, even the superpowers aren't doing much for you because, I mean, here he is, he's about to pass out. And then there's almost this look to the comic pages and I don't know if you were thinking that this time or not but we often will see Jesus portrayed 
as like trying to stand up again. If if you see the visions of him um, on the Passion and and going to the cross, you'll see artist renderings throughout history where Jesus is has stumbled and he's trying to stand back up and and he's bearing the weight of the cross and um, and he has to have others come to help him. But did did you get any sort of a feel at, at all? Not not that I thought this was going to make you actually think of Jesus, but it seemed like as I'm looking at him struggle to get back up. Um, I wondered this time through, like, wow, in the way that he's having to, like, push, especially on page three and trying to get back up, and the way that these beams are on his shoulders, it almost looks like some of those depictions of Christ trying to get back up with the cross on his back. I, did you have any of those thoughts, or is that was that just me? You know, it, I, it's funny that you bring it up. I didn't. I didn't get that the first time I read it, but as we were flipping through the pages here and you're describing it, I can totally see what you're seeing, saying. And as I was flipping more through the pages, and, I, and now this might be going way too far, so don't hold me to this. But if you get to the, uh, towards the end of the book, page 17, Peter, uh, now not as Spider-Man, but as himself, Peter Parker, has some bandages on his face. And it's, at, you know, at one point I thought maybe it was just like kind of an X bandage, but if you look a little closer... It does look kind of like a cross on his face. I'm, I'm not saying again. I know that that's maybe pushing it, but yeah. uh, it could just be a slight nod to that what what they were trying to depict. But you had sure. said you do you know the the faith uh, history of Stanley or Steve Ditko. Well, Steve Ditko did the artwork, so do you know what he? Yeah, I, I know. You know, Ditko seems to be one of these guys that keeps himself so private. I know next to nothing about him, other than he's sort of a a recluse curmudgeon that won't, you know, talk about Spider Man at all to anybody, um, and doesn't want to talk about his time doing that. So I, I wish we knew more about that. I I have read some of Stan Lee's autobiography. And um, and I I was kind of disappointed because not only does he say he's an atheist in that book, but he he basically just comes out and says you're an absolute fool if you think there's a god. There's there's no way there could be. If you can't prove it by science, it's unprovable. And he's he's kind of harsh with his words, like towards anybody that might be a believer. So I was a little disappointed reading about that. <laughs> and that was uh, that was even way back from this time period. So I don't. I don't think the the God thing was big on his mind at that time, honestly. Okay, I did a little research here. Steve Ditko is an ardent supporter and advocate of the philosophy of objectivism. Now, I'm not very familiar with this, so I did another search on that. It's a philosophical system developed by Russian-American writer Ayn Rand. And, of course... He did Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged, uh, yeah. So that's uh, so that's where Ditko falls when it comes to his personal beliefs. Well, very interesting. Yeah, I I'd never heard of that either. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that is, other than I know who Ian Rand is. But um, well, one one thing I'd like to talk about is if we could, and maybe we can uh, see where this takes us. We don't have to spend all night talking about Spider Man or anything. But I do think there are some some strong um, spiritual applications that we can make about this. Um, when we talk about um, the strength that God provides to us, and there's even you know scripture passages that talk about um, you know don't don't prepare in advance for the defense you're going to give you know because <laughs> I'll mm-hmm. be with you I'll be providing um, and we want to be as prepared as we can as Christians but there's some point in which um, the power that we have in ourselves is just not enough. It takes something more. 
you know, behind it for these situations that we find ourselves in. I, I just find it very interesting that um, at the end of the one issue, uh, our character Spider-Man is completely beat. I mean, he is just, he's laying under this rubble. He can't move. Um, they've taken great time and uh, to, to let you know his his strength is gone. It is expended. Um, there's no way he's going to get out of this without some sort of help. Um, so, so it makes it interesting that going into the next issue, he's still that same guy. He's still just absolutely spent. But it's, it's like he calls on something deeper within him. <laughs> like, I don't know, if is it the spider totem or whatever it is that, uh, that Peter David will describe later on? But there's something more to him that makes him, um, while being fully man, there's, a, there's more power behind it than that. And if he didn't have this this spider power, the, the the radioactive spider gave him, the one that gave him the strength of many men, um, there'd be no way that he would get out of this situation. Um, what what do you think, if any, is there any conclusion that we can draw about this? If we're going to talk about like our life spiritually, let's let's pretend like we're both back in our days when we were youth pastors, Matt. Okay. And you're going to have to talk to teens, and you're trying to think of a good object lesson for, I don't know, maybe the Holy Spirit in our lives, or what God can do empowering us, or Him, you know, I think of like scripture passages like um, that remind us, um, in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. If you're familiar with that passage, I'm sure you are. Um, how would you take a, a story like this and maybe apply a, a principle like that from scripture to it? Man, I'd probably try to be a little bit funny about it because, you know, poor Peter, he always has what the writers call the Parker luck. You know, yeah. where he's just nothing goes right for this poor guy. I feel bad for him a lot of the times. And and so no matter what he tries to do, it ends up going bad. You know, he he tries to give his aunt blood, but guess what? It's tainted. Now she's going to die because of it. And he's trying to get the serum, but then he gets crushed by a bunch of metal. So I think I'd probably go to the proverbs and just say um uh, let's see something <laughs> i'm uh i'm like putting you on the spot <laughs> yeah you know i'm trying to do something about like just trusting god's plan but not and not relying on your own uh i know it's the proverbs i can't think of the exact uh the trust verse. in the lord with all your heart lean not on your own yeah, understanding that's the one yeah. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and what's he will direct you. What's the reference for that? Why can't I think? It's one, two, or three, right? Uh, Proverbs <laughs> chapter three. I can't remember the verse right now, but yeah, it's Proverbs three. Yeah, oh, here we go. Five, three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. See, be not wise in your own eyes. That's what I'm talking about. There you go. <laughs> well, do you think there's instances where? the Lord will provide us strength that we just absolutely don't have in ourselves. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. And I think, but not necessarily, you know, you'd mentioned running before and, and how we both like to go out running at races. Often I'll see people wearing uh, shirts that quote from Philippians and talk about how um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, it's kind of a nice message, but it's not necessarily really what Paul's trying to get across there right. in that passage. So I think it is true that God does give us strength to do things, uh, but I think that that's more on the spiritual level or um, maybe when combating demonic forces rather than worldly forces. 
Well, that's I mean that's interesting because I I think that um, you know running is a it, Paul uses running a lot you know and, yeah, and run the like race. the the Olympic games and and running the races that would have been fairly new back then you know at that time um, but you know I was thinking about the in some ways and and Brewer actually in his book Michael Brewer in the book I was talking about before he was talking about the way that God can use very small things and do incredibly great things through it. Um, and, and saying that, you know, we'll bring glory to him in some way through things that we would think are very small. And he, he talks about, um, I don't know if this will be helpful to our conversation or not, but I, I think it will. Um, he talks about in the book that there's this common pattern that seems to happen with comic book characters um, where they go through this process of peril and then power and then promise. The three P's is what he talks about in comic books. And he'll use examples like, um, uh, well, really you can apply it to a bunch of them. He says, Here, here's how it works. As our hero faces a crisis that threatens to destroy him. Instead, though, our hero emerges with superhuman abilities. And then lastly, um, the third thing, vows to use them for good. So that's the peril, power, promise. And, and Brewer says, you know, the Christian life follows a similar path. Um, so the initials differ. You can use an S instead, but the pattern is nearly identical of sin, salvation, and service um, is where he, he goes through with sort of this hero's calling. So, um, you know, I think that Spider-Man says something about I have to be equal to the task. Um, if, if, I, if memory serves and you were reading that so well, um, pretending you were Spider-Man for us a minute ago. He was talking about being equal to the task that's there before us. And I I think there is this sense in which, you know, obviously we're seeing a guy that if he was a normal human and he didn't have extra power that wasn't his to start with, he wouldn't be able to to lift all that stuff up. He would would be dead. He could barely do it with all that power. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a sense in which I think that um, us coming to realize our salvation leads us to this gratitude and this thankfulness that empowers us to do so much more than we would want to or or that we would even be able to on ourselves and on our own. And so when he's talking about these these good works that he's seen like just comic book nerds doing in this book, he'll talk about um, getting back to the author of this book, Michael Brewer. Um, he, he says uh, he has seen um, – seemingly small things like that other comic book collectors have done some of them in the name of god that have made a really big difference in people's lives and he basically says wow if if god can use just a simple comic book nerd like this imagine what god wants to do with all of us you know with the gifts he gives um and just a few of the examples that he mentions he talks about collectors that'll do simple things like this is not even giving of their best but like They'll kind of purge their collections of like duplicate comics and and things that they don't necessarily need anymore, and they'll give them to literacy programs and it helps you know young people start to read. Um, but then it gets even a little more major than that. Like he, he says, for several years he attended a major comic book convention that was organized as a fundraiser for the March of Dimes um, because a fan saw the potential to use his hobby as a means to generate income for medical research. And tens of thousands of dollars were raised over several years. So um, he, you know, he's he's talking about things like that. Like, you know, what? Think about the things that God could use if you would just give yourself to Him. Um, because who would have thought that 
like starting with a person who just enjoyed comic books suddenly now has this vision to do something greater to bless other people and and to help lots of people in huge ways and um i I don't know i just i just think it's interesting when we're talking about like this character of spider-man and what it means uh to have a strength that's beyond ourselves um there are so many times that that god will do things through people or sometimes in spite of people um where a need will be provided or something amazing is done that that we would just think like, wow, how did how did that person bring that about or accomplish this, you know? Um, so that's yeah, it's kind of where my thoughts are going, I guess, as as we're talking about this, this whole idea that um, that our our being saved from sin um, it leads to salvation, and that salvation leads to service, which is sort of like uh, that peril, power, promise thing that that heroes go through in comic books. Yeah, I like that. I I like that peril. Say it again, peril. Uh, peril, power, promise. Peril, so they're, power, they're first promise. in peril. They receive power, and then there's a promise that they're going to use that power for good. Yeah, that's good. And, and so then, uh, and and actually, he he quotes like a Fantastic Four. Uh, I think it's Ben Grimm that says it uh, at one point. Um, the 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 quote is: "You don't have to make a big a speech, big shot. We understand. We've got to use that power to help mankind." Um, so the whole idea that they they have been saved to serve, um, which I think is the Salvation Army's slogan, if I'm not um, not mistaken. But I, yeah, I just find that to be good stuff. I think it'd be very rich. And then he gives one other example, and maybe we can start wrapping up our time with this a little bit tonight but uh i I don't know if you remember back in in 2003 matt there was a super bowl commercial that was a spoof on castaway um that was it was pretty funny and have you seen the movie castaway with tom hanks yeah and i kind of remember this commercial i don't remember what it was for though well, uh, he describes. I had forgotten about it until I was rereading it in the book. But it's it's a pretty funny commercial because at the end of Castaway, um, you know, it, the Tom Hanks movie, he's a FedEx employee, right? And the end of the movie is him like delivering this package he was on the island with that he didn't open, and uh, he he kept it with him. And when he finally gets back to the mainland, he personally goes and delivers it to where it needs to go. Uh, and so the. The commercial for FedEx is sort of a, a play off of that. And he says in the book, as he's describing it, um, he says, Do you remember the FedEx commercial spoofing the popular movie Castaway that aired during the 2003 Super Bowl? A delivery man knocks on the door of a suburban house. When the woman answers, the man proudly hands over the package. He tells the woman he's been stranded on a deserted island for years. Through many hardships and privations, he held on to this package, planning for the day he could deliver it in person. The woman accepts the package with thanks, but before the door closes, the former castaway asks the woman, What's in the package? The woman assures him it's nothing particularly important, just a few odds and ends, a satellite phone, a a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. (laughs) And and he says at the end of that, he says, when we Christians don't exercise our gifts, we're just like the castaway who refuses to unwrap what God has placed within reach. We hobble through life, struggle with circumstances, and cripple ourselves because we don't take hold of the gifts God intends for us. When we neglect our gifts, we reject the very resources an all-wise God has provided for abundant living. Overlooking our gifts impoverishes us and makes life harder than it needs to be. 
Um, so uh, you know, maybe we could come right back to what we talked about in the beginning. With great power must also come great responsibility. It's not just that it automatically comes, but with great power there must also come that responsibility to, to use the gifts that we have been given. I like it, Rick. That was awesome. <laughs> no, it's a, it's, we brought it all around. It's a good message. I mean, especially, you know, you think we're just here talking about Spider-Man, but there's some good stuff in here if you look a little deeper. Well, it's it's true. And I like anything else, I don't think these things were actually within the text or that they were even intended. Uh, but I think as Christians, we do have this paradigm that we're looking at the world through. And, and sometimes we just can't help but see Christ, you know, in, in these examples. And um, I, I just strongly encourage listeners, if you even have a, a little bit of interest in Spider-Man or comic books, uh, look up these issues. I think it's, it starts actually with like uh, number 30 of The Amazing Spider-Man. Go to your local library like Matt did. I, I think you got your book. Uh, from your public library, didn't you? I did. Something so like when we had talked, uh, I know you'd said that it kind of starts in 30 uh, where Aunt May starts to get sick and that I was in Marvel Masterworks Volume 3, but I actually only read for this talk 31, 32, and 33, which is the Master Planner, right. I don't know if you'd say Saga, but that three-part storyline. And those are the first three issues in Marvel Masterworks Volume 4 for yeah. Spider-Man. So, yeah, you have to get The Amazing Spider-Man, Marvel Masterworks, Volume 4. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? Yeah, you can you can buy them on Comixology if you go, and there's a couple different series of Amazing, Amazing Spider-Man. You have to look back at the first series. They're kind of hard to find if you go on Comixology, but they are there, um, and then you can get them from the, the library. You can you could buy them in these Marvel Masterworks books, or if you really wanted to go to like a comic convention and spend some cash, you can buy the original issues, but they're kind of hard to find. Um, how, but, long, how long have you had them for? Um, I've had them for a few years, I, and I actually found them, just some good deals on them at conventions, the original copies that I have. Um, I, and I have a couple of really old ones that I found like in dollar bins that were just not in very good condition, but they were still like the original issues. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll take those, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's, the, I have a few of them from that era and I, I, I really like having uh, the original one just if nothing else to serve a piece of history. And I hope to one day, you know, with my son, if he's into comic books, which I think most little boys are at some point. Um, you know, I want to share a story like this with him. Um, what, what makes me kind of upset about a lot of modern comics now is um, that there's just so much um, heroes are almost all anti-heroes anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just a very common, which, by the way, you know, Ben DeBono and I had a, a conversation at C2E2 on a, on a podcast and you guys replayed it on your show. We talked about um, the rise of the anti-hero and just why everybody is is so into like nobody can be pure anymore it doesn't seem like or or they don't even strive to be it's just everybody's like wolverine what i uh, i'm good at what i do but what i do isn't very nice you know <laughs> type thing and uh, there's something about this kind of like why i like superman so much is uh, same way as this classic Spider-Man, there's something about him that they strive so hard to do the good and so hard to be self-sacrificial for other people, um, especially at their own expense. And I, you know, I want to sit down with my son one day and give him these comics, but then uh, teaching him to be a discerning person, I hope to sit down and just say, you know, let's look at what this means. I want to pass on what this means and why why I think this character has value. Um, and it's it's so much less than like the modern version of 
Spider-Man as he's often written today, which honestly to to not be crass but some they're writing him anymore like all he wants to do is get laid you know <laughs> um it's just like yeah if i can just get another woman and have another conquest i mean I, honestly there's some issues that you're going good grief where's the where's the responsibility where is you know where's this character that at one time um he was so self-sacrificial and he he cared so much about others that he was able to um you know, give of his life. So I, you know, I may not even let my son read the modern comics and, you know, he'll have to decide one day if he wants to read those, but these classic ones, I feel like the, the hero character is such a better model for him, but I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No, I totally agree. Actually, that was one of the things that was appealing to me about that, uh, 1970s Superman that I was reading. I, I like the idea of a true hero and, you know, I used to probably come down on Superman because he was, quote-unquote, uh, a Boy Scout. But now there is a part of me that kind of wants to read that type of hero. And yeah. I've read a lot of the modern heroes, like you've said, who uh, are sometimes heroic with an edge, and sometimes they're just bordering on villainous. Uh, and I, But yeah, I want to read somebody who is more just pure of heart. And so if you read some of these early Spider-Man issues, I think you'll have uh, maybe a more innocent world that, that uh, Spider-Man exists in. Um, where there are sad things happening and people do die, but there's more, I feel like the consequences are felt more where you don't just pass over a death like yeah. often happens nowadays, but it will maybe hang with the characters for a long period of time and, and then the readers go along with it. And yeah, I think you're right. It will be a good thing for you to be able to teach your son and, and maybe someday I can uh, teach my kids the same thing. Well, and, and again, I I guess I shouldn't say that like I'm against those other types of comics completely because I I feel like there's a lot you can learn from all those sorts, even in television shows and stuff. A lot of that anti-hero mindset has come through, and I think it makes for interesting character development. And but but when there's there's a sense too that like when I want to actually talk about though like what we should be like and what we should strive to be versus what makes a character interesting. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of brokenness in the world. And so we need to understand that that brokenness, like, you know, you guys are talking about the, the song of fire and ice books, you know, right now on, uh, on your podcast, if you guys listen to those shows, obviously those books are just, you just wonder sometimes if there's any good in anybody, <laughs> you know, yeah. in those stories. And it makes for incredible reading, and there's there's a great commentary on the world around us, and I think there's great commentary on why it is so important to be people of virtue and honor, because it's such a rare commodity um, in those stories. Uh, but these are, things like these, like the Spider-Man or Superman of the 70s, wherever, I think they're easy examples for us to point to and just say, okay, but, but here's a really good example of the opposite of that you know and something that we should strive for um if you're going to be a, a person of character and a person that's self-sacrificial and 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 you know it, to quote the scripture um there's no greater love than this than that a man would lay down his life for his friends and i think we certainly see that in spades back in this era of storytelling in superhero comic books yeah totally yeah. agree well, anything else to, to add before we kind of wrap up our conversation tonight? It's been fun. It's been a good hour of conversation, a little over, actually. No, I, yeah, that was fun. I love the conversation, and my hope for uh, you and me next year, as you had mentioned C2E2 earlier in our conversation, I'm hoping that me and you and possibly Ben DeBono could all meet up in Chicago and 
I could finally experience that because I I have been to some local smaller comic book conventions here in the Minneapolis area, but it's nothing mm-hmm. compared to some of those bigger ones you hear about in Chicago, New York, San Diego. So I, I want to get to one of those big ones. So next April, let's try to make it happen. Yeah, I'm going to try to do that. I, I would love to, um, and I'd love just hang out with you guys again. But yeah, C2E2 is fun. So maybe our listeners, some of you guys will be there too. And oh, I we, know should, that- we should do a meetup. Voices in my yeah. head meetup. Well, and you know what? Ben did that uh, when we were there before. It was a lot of fun for him. I, I think I had something else I was doing uh, that day. Uh, but he, he did meet with at least one person that was a listener to, to your podcast. And, yeah, I, think uh, and I know Daniel, they had a good right? time and they, they got together and shared for, I think they had a meal and spent a couple hours together. And um, so that would be fun if we did like a podcast meetup in Chicago and well, I'll go get some pizza or something. No, I, I remember. I think you met with Daniel then, uh, different Daniel, not Daniel Butcher, but, uh, uh, and yeah, we should try to do something like big podcast meetup with some of our listeners. So next April listeners, Chicago, Rickley James, Matt Anderson, Ben DeBono. <laughs> Who knows who else will be there? That's right. Let's do it. All right, all right. All <laughs> all right man. Well, God bless you. You you have a great evening, and uh, and we'll talk again soon. And I will listen to you on your podcast. All right. Thanks so much, Rick. Appreciate it. All right. See you later, yeah, Matt. Bye bye.